Hello, and welcome to another episode of the PE Hub podcast. Welcome back, everyone. This is episode 10. Double digits. Yep, we're here. <laughs> um, we are going to spend some time today talking about uh, LP concerns about the high-priced deal environment, as well as uh, Sequoia raising a big new growth fund and needing to approach a type of LP that it has traditionally shunned. But before we get to that, I want to just remind you that we have a couple events coming up. Um, we have our uh, Partner Connect East event in Boston at the Hyatt Regency on March 19th through the 21st. And um, <clears throat> that event, we're going to welcome uh, two, two uh, keynote speakers, David Rubenstein from Carlisle and Leon Black from Apollo. I'm very excited about those two big hitters uh, joining us. Yeah, two of the luminaries of the private equity industry. Both will be receiving um, Lifetime Achievement Awards as well. Is that right? Be pretty, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Should be pretty interesting. Um, looking forward to that. Yeah. Uh, and Sam, I think, uh, at least Sam is, uh, will be interviewing David Rubenstein. Yeah, I'll be interviewing Rubenstein. I'll be asking him, I think, only about Duke basketball. <laughs> so. Okay. We also have uh, Emerging Manager Connect West coming up on May 1st at the Marines Memorial Club in San Francisco. And Family Office Connect May 31st at the Harvard Club here in beautiful New York City where it is 70 degrees in February. It's been fantastic. As a Californian, it's been just so nice to step outside and feel like I'm back in the Bay Area. Global warming for the win. It's real. Um, <laughs> so. With that, let's transition. <laughs> uh, Sam. You recently wrote about uh, LPs being uh, concerned with uh, high deal prices, among other things. Can you talk a bit about yeah, that? Yeah, of course. Um, so I was in San Francisco last week at Super Return West, um, which was... Super Return, huh? Yeah, the very, very first Super Return conference that I've been to. Um, I was really excited to go. Um, it was a great list of LPs, great list of speakers there. Andrea Orbach uh, kicked it off on Tuesday with a, with a really kind of... Cracker Jack, oh my God, what a terrible adjective. Uh, really great um, uh, kind of keynote address just to kind of set the stage for what she's seen in the market and what uh, Cambridge Associates has seen in the market. She, she, she's a legend. She's Yeah, she's great. And uh, the two things that she pointed out is, uh, three things that she pointed out is that uh, she's, she's seen some serious storm clouds on the horizon. Uh, that was the first. The second is that the industry hasn't hit the kind of 2x, 20% return threshold that it's known for in, in quite some time. And last but not least, even though those two things are true, it's also true that the private equity industry has returned uh, around $900 billion to their limited partners over the last uh, half decade plus. Wow. So um, I think it was every, over the last seven years. So kind of some mis mixed messaging there, um, what, what, all, all of which is true, but interesting, interesting messaging coming from the LP universe. Yeah, and she, she has, she has been on, on that uh, theme for, for a couple years now. For a couple years, yeah. She's, she's, she was really the first one who, who I heard come out publicly, I think this was maybe two years ago, mm -hmm. and say that she expects, um, she expects returns to fall and that LP should be prepared for that. Well, I think <clears throat> what made her message especially resonant in San Francisco last week was just the, the market backdrop. Uh, in which she was right. giving these remarks. So she spoke on Tuesday. The pre over the previous two weeks, the um, Dow Jones and the S&P had fallen by around 10%. They'd entered market correction territory. Now, obviously, since then, I think by Tuesday, the market had started to rebound a little bit. Now it seems like things are fine. 
but um, a lot for a lot of the LPs at the conference, this was kind of throwing their uh, allocation decisions to private equity over the last half decade, ten years or so, into into pretty stark relief. Um, when the recession hit in two thousand eight, there was a lot of concern. It kind of followed up a, a similar period for the private equity industry. It was very easy for a lot, not easy, but a lot of firms had an easy time going out and raising money from LPs. They were raising some of the largest funds in history. They were deploying them in deals that were gargantuan. This was the, um, yeah. you know, the TXUs and the Caesars palaces of the world. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of LPs at the time, I think, ended up being they got concerned that they wouldn't be able to fund their capital calls, basically. Once, uh, are you, once the recession hit, you're Once saying. the recession hit, yeah, right, exactly. Right. There were some fears of that. Yeah, the, yep. you know, they uh, lost a lot of their public market valuations and then or a lot of their public market portfolio. And then um, at the same time, a lot of GPs were starting to call capital for more deals. And cash reserves were maybe a little bit lower than what they were used to historically. And so with the market turmoil that happened two weeks ago, over the last two weeks, or two weeks leading into San Francisco, um, the LPs there were starting to, to ask similar questions. Whether, uh, wh- whether we were going to hit a, a pretty bad market correction. Whether we were going to hit a pretty bad market correction and what that would mean for their private equity portfolio specifically. Okay. Is it going to be harder to fund capital calls? Is it going to be harder to fund capital calls now that there are these capital call uh, subscription lines? that, uh, you know, kind of extend the period between when an investment is made and when capital is actually uh, called from limited partners. Uh, Are they going to run into a denominator effect? Mm -hmm. If they have an 8% allocation to private equity and all of a sudden public markets are down 10%, that 8% allocation is suddenly a 10% allocation. Yeah, that was a big problem in the recession era. Yeah, that was a huge problem for a lot of public pensions, and it forced a lot of uh, institutions to kind of cut back on their private equity allocations for yeah. a couple of years. Um, that and some pay-to-play scandals. Yeah. <laughs> a little, little, little bit of both. Um, so it was, even though, you know, the market obviously um, bounced back and things seemed to be back to normal more or less, it was an interesting time to kind of hear from limited partners and, and get a sense of just how, um, you know, precarious all of this really is. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I'll be I'll be interested to see what you know what they say now that there's been, you know, a couple of weeks and things seem to have uh, gone back to normal a bit. Now everything's fine again. Yeah, everything's <laughs> fine. Yeah, nothing to see here. Um, you mentioned uh, you know these sort of concerns about uh, in a in a in a recession or in in a, in a bad downturn, let's say, uh, fears that LPs won't be able to fund capital calls. And then also on top of that, the idea that a lot of a lot of uh, GPs have capital call subscription lines out, which would be almost like a double whammy. Yeah, exactly. You know, if you start getting firms like let's say Apollo and Oak Tree, <clears throat> they see a downturn, and so they start to call capital. Yeah, these are firms that are historically do really well in distress periods. And then at the same time, you have uh, 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 you know banks calling in these capital call loans. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. All, of, all of a sudden, you're getting hit from both ends. Yeah. And at that point, I know Morris Gordon at Guardian has been pretty vocal about this. At that point, you know, if you're a portfolio manager, you know, you, you have to answer both. You have to do what you can do. But you might be setting yourself up for a you know, pretty difficult conversation with your chief investment officer, difficult conversations with your board. Um, and that's, that's not a fun situation to be in. Um, the other thing that I think, and we, we haven't touched on this yet, but 
Andrea Orbach's comments on, you know, the storm clouds on the horizon and also returns coming down. You know, returns are going to come, likely going to come down, and they're going to likely come down on private equity vintages that are among the largest in the industry's history. 2015, 2016, 2017, those were all boom years for fundraising. Mm -hmm. Uh, That capital was being put to work at a time when it was super pricey and still is super pricey. We're seeing a lot of firms paid, you know, 10x plus multiples on on, uh, on new assets. When that multiple expansion isn't there anymore, when the market's not going up anymore, uh, how are they going to, you know, return that capital LPs? And will LPs see the kind of, you know, double-digit returns that they've expected over the last few years? Yeah, so, so these vintages are likely to be challenged. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they, w- Very likely. Yeah. And it, it kind of, there was an article that came out um, earlier this week in American Affairs by Daniel Rasmussen, who um, has spent the last few years researching the private equity industry and I think he, in his his article, and you should definitely go read it, it's in American Affairs, he basically said that, you know, 2015, 2016, 2017 vintages, his firm imagined those are going to be kind of close to zero. Close for, to zero. Yeah. Um, that, I think that that might have been a, you know, a little bit of a rhetorical exaggeration. <laughs> Has that ever happened? I don't know, but it's not, it's not super far off. You know, I went back and I looked at Cambridge's numbers for 2005 and 2006 just before the funds, recession. just re- just before the recession so these were um, vehicles that were being put to work at the top of the market the median return for a 2005 vintage in Cambridge Associates uh, pool of data 7.9 huh. percent so that doesn't even cross the it's not a zero but it doesn't cross the return threshold the return hurdle that a lot of private equity firms set for return for, yeah, yeah exactly set for themselves in order to get carry. 2006, 8.5% wow. median return. Um, that is not good. You know, 8.5%, yeah, it looks it looks pretty good when you're getting nothing from fixed income and you're getting, you know, maybe very little from your equity portfolio because it's a downturn. But if you're paying 2% management fee on that every year, yeah. what am I ultimately paying for here? Yeah. So um, and also when your when your expectation presumably for those funds are twenty percent. Yeah. You know, and two and two times your money at least. Yeah, exactly. You're you're kind of you're really hurting your LPs at that point. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was it was just an interesting time to be there uh, more than anything else because, you know, just for for a couple days it looked like things were getting really 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 hairy and then all of a sudden everything's everything's back to normal. Everything has snapped back. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> And I'm sure it'll be fine for, you know, in perpetuity. Um, <laughs> nothing ever goes bad. As long as, uh, as long as money stays cheap. As long as money stays cheap. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's another big part of it is uh, interest rates are low. They'll likely um, go up maybe faster than people expect in the next year or so if, if inflation starts to kick in, which could very well happen with, with uh, you know, the new tax law and, uh, with growth projected to be a little bit higher than it was in previous years, you know, maybe that, that depresses some things mm-hmm. uh, and makes it more difficult for firms to lever up these assets to the extent that they were before. All right. Well, uh, how about we take a break, and then uh, when we come back, we'll talk a bit about Sequoia. Sounds good. Hey, this is Chris. Sorry to interrupt, but I just wanted to talk to you about something real quick. Are you a private equity professional? assuming you are, are you focused on healthcare? Then you might want to check out the PE Hub Healthcare Wire, a weekly newsletter featuring our crack healthcare reporter, Sarah Pringle. 
Every Thursday, Sarah delivers news on deals, fundraising, and personnel activity that help move the private equity healthcare world. Some of her recent scoops include news that United Health Group's Optum subsidiary was nearing a deal to acquire Avella Specialty Pharmacy. Warburg's City MD was set to buy Spanos Barber Jesse backed Stat Health. And Summit Partners backed Integrated DNA was weighing a sale. If you're looking for this kind of news and or the inside track on action in healthcare private equity, sign up for the PE Hub Healthcare Wire on pehub.com. It's free. And we're back. Um, we're going to seg into a segment on one of Chris's stories, and it has to do with Sequoia. Um, and it looks like Sequoia is raising a massive new fund and might have to go to a pool of investors that they've... Uh, kind of scorned over the last decade. Is that a fair characterization? Yeah, well, sh- shunned at least. Uh, okay. Scorned, so, shunned. I, mean, I don't know. Just, if, yeah, yeah. Scorned, shunned. Avoided? Avoided. That's <laughs> honestly the most <laughs> accurate representation. Uh, well, I feel like there needs to be an aspect of, you know, no, nah, no, nah, not yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. You know, the guy at the club, not yeah. letting you in. Yeah. Uh, well, that's that's kind of venture. That's the nature of venture, though. Yeah. Well, <laughs> getting into clubs is, might be why a lot of venture guys are in trouble <laughs> Um, Getting in the clubs is something I know nothing about. Yeah, I'll just um, point that out. Yeah. I go to the worst bars that you can think of. You've, That's where I go. you've made it clear. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, with Sequoia, it uh, looks like they're, in your story, you made it sound like they might be tapping uh, public pensions for the first time in a long time. Yeah, so Sequoia is raising a massive fund, mm-hmm. right? Six to eight billion dollars. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not clear on whether there's a hard target. I know there's yep. a target range, six to eight. Mm-hmm. And I know that the firm is out there sort of um, gauging LP interest, and that will really help to determine how big this fund will be. Yep. Um, I call that a mega fund in the venture world, at least. It's definitely um, a mega fund in the venture world. Yeah. And I think we would call it a mega fund in private equity. Yeah, too. I guess eight billion we would call a mega That's fund. That's pretty big. Right? Um, this fund will be uh, used for growth investing, okay. and um, mo- motivation here is uh, a few things. One, one thing, I, I, my theory anyway, is that I attribute this to what I'm calling the SoftBank mm-hmm. effect, and that is that SoftBank raised almost $100 billion to do these massive tech mm-hmm. growth investments, yeah. and um, other firms are sort of following suit. And so Sequoia is one of those firms. And what Sequoia would like to do is be able to invest from seed stage, a couple million dollars, mm-hmm. all the way up through late, late, late growth stage yeah, so. and maintain its, um, its uh, investment stake. Yeah. You know, let's say, that it, let's say that it takes a 20% stake at seed stage. It would mm-hmm. like to maintain that all the way through the life cycle of, mm-hmm. of, of a startup. Mm-hmm. And so in order to do that, it feels that it, you know, it, it needed more money to do that. And that's gotten harder and harder. To, and that was actually a topic that came up at Super Return, too, is you know, SoftBank, I think, had just WAG, the, the dog walking application, I think, yeah. had just raised their $300 million <laughs> round. And a lot of that was from SoftBank, I believe. And uh, a lot of the venture guys who were at this conference were <laughs> furious because you know how can you compete with that and this is a way for Sequoia to compete. this is a way to compete yeah. you know if at, at these lofty valuations yeah. if you want to maintain that ownership stake throughout yeah. you're going to need a lot, a lot more money mm-hmm. and so uh, here's the challenge though is that there's only uh, a handful of capital pools around the world that can handle the 250 million dollar investment uh, minimum investment that Sequoia is asking for mm-hmm. um you know, sovereign funds can handle Obviously. that. Yep. Uh, ultra high net worth, billionaires, you know, mm-hmm. billionaires around the world mm-hmm. can probably cut that kind of check. 
and then pensions. You know, whether Canadian pensions, which don't really like to take passive LP stakes these days, mm -hmm. or U.S. pensions. And that's kind of in the sweet spot for some of the bigger U.S. pensions. Yeah. Uh, however, here's where it gets interesting. Sequoia, uh, many years ago, back mm -hmm. in uh, 02 and 03, in, in the George W. Bush administration, <laughs> okay. uh, um, was in the center of a transparency fight along with some other venture firms. Mm -hmm. And what was happening was that uh, certain public institutions like University of California's endowment uh, were being compelled to publish private equity and venture capital uh, performance information mm -hmm. by uh, lawsuits from advocates of, of, of open records and transparency, yeah. um, including uh, Mercury News, San Jose Mercury News. Wonderful paper. And so um, what happened was that uh, UC Regents fought against this, lost, and Sequoia came and said, well, you know, we hate to do this, but we got to ask you to leave our fund. Mm -hmm. uh, the new fund at that time was Fund 10, mm -hmm. and uh, UC Regents had been in prior funds as well. And so Sequoia asked them to politely step yeah. away from Fund 10 and also sell their interest in past funds because they simply didn't want that information out there. Yeah. And um, it's an inter interesting quote from Mike Moritz, uh, who was Sequoia partner at the time. It says, unfortunately, times have changed and the quiet curtain of privacy that protected our confidential information has been torn. <laughs> Very dramatic. Yeah. We also have the right to protect our other clients, our portfolio companies, and our sales from the various damages that can result from the dissemination of information that we consider highly confidential. Yeah. Um, Sequoia was not the only venture fund to, uh, you know, to sort of be in this fight. There were other Kleiner venture Perkins, I know, was in it. Mm -hmm. And so um, from that moment on, Sequoia, you know, stepped away from public institutions as LPs. Having said that, these days, you know, there are public systems that have come back into Sequoia funds, including UC Regents and University of Michigan, which was another, uh, yeah. which was another endowment that uh, Sequoia asked to, to, to leave mm -hmm. its fund. Um, and so that, it took about eight years for UC Regents to get back into the fold. Also, mm -hmm. I'm not clear if UC Regents actually sold its interest in these older Sequoia funds. Mm -hmm. It doesn't seem like it because in more recent performance uh, charts yeah. those uh, for UC Regents, those funds are still in there. I have a hard time seeing, I can't think of any other example of a GP trying to kick an LP out of its fund. I know, it's crazy. Can it's crazy, it, and not only that, but like what legal recourse is there to do that? They can simply ask. They can ask, yeah. but... And that's it. But that's it, yeah, you there's know. no, and why would you? If I was a LP in a great fund and I don't know. I don't see why UC Regents would you, sell. You, you know, weirdly, I mean, an LP would that seem to have a great relationship with yeah. this GP. It sounds like they still do. And it sounds like they still do. Yeah. But I mean, at the time, it's like, well, I, I, they wanted to make a political statement. That must have been it. Yeah. And well, and I guess also they didn't, it, they yeah. didn't want this information out there. Yeah. Um, so anyway, <laughs> now, now with this massive growth fund, six to eight billion dollars. Sequoia needs to actually approach public institutions yeah. once again yeah. uh, because, you know, they may not be able to raise what they need out of sovereign funds and out of um, High net billionaires. And endowments alone. Yeah. Uh, they might. They, yeah. might get, they might get to where they want to be, but um, LPs that I've talked to have said that Sequoia has been making some inroads into public pensions recently mm -hmm. and um, looking for uh, ways to form relationships. And it'll be interesting to see how exactly that works out because I'm not sure. Sequoia didn't talk to me for this story. Yeah. Um, I talked to LPs and others outside of uh, mm -hmm. the firm. 
but um, you know, is Sequoia s- sort of dropping its 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 highly secretive nature around this kind of information? Is it is it going to be willing to deal with the transparency rules in California? Right. Yeah, and the, and the California ones have gotten more strict, as yeah. as previous listeners of the PE Hub podcast will be well aware. Um, yeah, the state rules there now require venture capital funds to be included in these um, in the disclosure reports that public pensions and other public institutions have to put together every year, yeah. and that includes not just performance, but also portfolio company fees and management fees and accrued carried interest and and all sorts of stuff that. Uh, Goes well beyond what you know, Mike Moritz was complaining about fifteen years ago. S- simple, simple performance. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, yeah, th- this is this is pretty detailed stuff. Now, the one thing with with venture that might be interesting is seeing, um, you know, the uh, realized versus unrealized return. Because yeah. I know that these funds can last or can live on for, you know, decades, basically much longer than their 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 cousins in the private equity universe. Yeah, yeah, because if you if you get a startup. You're sort of waiting for that home run, yeah, right. And you could hold that thing in your portfolio for a long time, for forever. Yeah. In the in the secondary market, you know, you'll hear that uh, no fund lives longer than a venture fund. Yeah, and in fact, there are venture funds from the '90s that mm-hmm. continue to hold assets um, that presumably they'll never be able to sell, and those assets are still running in yeah. some way. So, um, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Now, do you think that public pensions have appetite for a relationship with Sequoia? The ones that I talked to were interested, mm-hmm. definitely, because because of Sequoia. I mean, Sequoia has strong, strong returns. Yeah. Um, and so, sorry, my phone is. No, it's okay. My Bye. phone is blowing up. Here. <laughs> By maybe, reputation. Maybe yeah. that's Sequoia that's on that the phone. Might be, right. Yeah. <laughs> They're listening in. Uh, they, you know, they, they, they are well regarded as a, as a strong performer. Yeah. And so I imagine that um, any public pension would love to have them in their portfolio. Yeah, I know Oregon a couple of years ago was looking to expand its, the growth segment of its private equity portfolio. Okay. Was having a hard time doing that just because a lot of growth funds are smaller. Oregon has to write $100 million, $200 million, $500 million checks in order to kind of make a dent. Yeah. This would be kind of a perfect fit for them. So there you go. Yeah. yeah. And... Um, uh, uh, consultant I talked to mentioned that uh, Sequoia is making direct approaches to to uh, to, to certain LPs. Mm-hmm. I also uh, heard from sources that Silicon Valley Bank has been shopping a fund of funds that would include uh, t- two two public pensions that would include um, exposure to this Sequoia fund. Oh, interesting. So they're making you know they have various uh, strategies to try to tap this this side of the market. Yeah, and there are public pensions out there that don't that aren't especially public. New York State. That's right, yeah. You know, obviously you have to publish your returns, but there's not much beyond that. Yeah. There's just kind of a little write-out that they put out about what the fund strategy is, which is not a secret at this point. Um, yeah, there are a few others that, that don't disclose much. So, yeah. so, so the Dakotas. Yeah. One yeah. of the Dakotas. I forget which one. I think North Dakota. South No, it's South Dakota. I'm going to screw it up either way. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it'll, be, it'll be interesting for us to see, of course, uh, if they do get money from public pensions um, mm-hmm. and, and you know, certain public pensions that we know about that really mm-hmm. publish a lot of information. Um, it'll be great if we can actually see terms on this fund and the structure of the fund and you know, top executives and et cetera, et cetera. So yeah. uh, we will be watching to see where this all goes. Uh, oh, and, and just uh, briefly, too, um, I talked to another LP who questioned why Sequoia was doing this now 
um, at a time that he considered sort of a l- very late stage in the in the cycle. Yeah. Um, you know, when he was saying that we're sort of at the peak and we're at we're at kind of the the last innings here mm-hmm. before these uh, valuations collapse. Yeah. And so, why raise this fund now as opposed to a year ago or two years ago? Um, so I thought he brought up a pretty good question. That's a great question, but I, you know, if we find out what the management fee on this thing is, <laughs> that might answer that question. <laughs> so. So anyway, uh, that's that's where we are with that one. All right. Well, on that note, I think we'll draw the tenth uh, episode of the PE Hub podcast to a close. Uh, I want to thank Chris as always, and uh, thank you, Sam, and and also. Uh, Forgot to mention, uh, as always, if you know anything or you hear anything oh, about yeah. this kind of stuff or any kind of good tips or e- even gossip, hit us both up. Uh, we have an anonymous tip line on the front page of PE Hub. Mm-hmm. My email is cwitkowski at buyoutsinsider.com. And I'm S. Sutton at buyoutsinsider.com. And you can also find us on Twitter at, what's your handle? C. Witkowski? At Chris Witkowski. At Chris Witkowski, and I'm at Sam J. Sutton. So you can, you know, light up our DMs there. <laughs> um, as always, check out our stuff on pehub.com. Sign up for our events at partnerconnect.com, or partnerconnectevents.com. And um, finally, if you are listening to this on iTunes, please leave us a review because it would oh, be yeah. uh, very helpful for the, uh, for the algos. And uh, if may- maybe if we get to, like, 30 reviews, we'll give you a special uh, podcast episode. That's right. More, <laughs> more free content for you. All right. Have a good one, guys. Thank you again for listening. See you later.